Welcome to the Lion's Drive. I am Pastor Jimmy Udukoya. I pray this episode blesses you and it reminds you to become the lion that God has called you to be. Be blessed. Let's quickly turn to the word. We are still on the good shepherd. Isn't it interesting we've been on Psalm 23 this whole time? The word of God is inexhaustible, amen? Psalm 23, I believe we are now on the fourth verse. Boy, it starts as such, put it up there. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me. He leads me. He leads me. He makes me. He leads me. Beside the still waters, he restores my soul. Verse 3. Verse 3. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. It is him that walketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now look at verse 4. It says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I want to dwell there today very quickly. And as I began to read this, I asked myself a question. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the word shadow of death um, in Hebrew is talzmaveth, which means shadow of distress, of danger. It's a death shadow. It translates to a death shadow. Distress and danger. And then I, my mind began to wonder, and I asked the question, how does the sheep enter the valley of the shadow of death? Because if you look at one to three, he is my shepherd, I do not want. He makes me to lie down, so he takes me to lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. So how does the sheep enter the valley of the shadow of death? Because it does not seem consistent with the shepherd we've been speaking of. Because if, as one to three has shown, he does the leading and the sheep does the following. And everywhere he has led the sheep to has been good, green pastures, still waters, restore it my soul. How do we now enter the valley of the shadow of death? Is it that the shepherd led the sheep to the valley of the shadow of death? It does not seem consistent with what we have seen. And then it becomes clear as I began to dig. And what it would seem like is that if the sheep entered the valley of the shadow of death, it must mean that the sheep wandered away from the shepherd. He wandered away from the shepherd. And when he wandered away from the shepherd, the sheep finds itself in the valley of the shadow of death. 
as long as you are with the shepherd, you are in green pastures, you are in still waters. He's doing the restoring of your soul. Path of righteousness. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. His name is at sake when it comes to you. So for you, he will always make sure, because it's almost like they say that, you know, parents say, this child, don't shame me outside. What that means is your actions can affect me. So when I ask you to do stuff, it's not so, yes, it's for your benefit as much as it is for mine. Because then I'm saying, is that not the child of, is that not the son of, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Those that put their trust in the name of the Lord cannot be put to shame. My name is at stake. If you trust me, I must come through for you because they will know that you are. How do they know that you are mine? So how do you end up in the valley of the shadow of death? You have wandered away. And here you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death. And I looked at the scripture, James. Look at what James 1 says. And it gives us an indication of how that happens. James 1.14, it reads, James 1.14, Amplified Version. This is what it says. But each one of you is tempted when he is what? Put, it, put, put, up, put, put up the Amplified Version. Each one of you is tempted when he is what? Dragged away. You are with the shepherd. You are following the shepherd. He's leading, but all of a sudden, when we are tempted, we are dragged away. How? We are enticed and baited to do what? To commit sin by his own worldly desires, lusts, and what? Passions. That when the illicit desires has conceived, it gives birth to what? So illicit desires gives birth to sin. It doesn't always start as sin. It starts as temptation. But when you are dragged away, that temptation gives birth to sin. And when sin has run its course, it gives birth to what? That's why the Bible says the wages of sin, the repayments, the wages, what you get paid with, the wages of sin is death. When it has run its course, it gives birth to death. Look at 16. Do not be misled. So the shepherd was leading. Your temptation drags you away, then you become misled and you end up in the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible talks about in Luke 15, three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, exploring what happens when a sheep strays away from the shepherd. And let's look at that very quickly. I'm going to read very quickly because of my time. Let's look at Luke 15, verse 11, and we know this story because for me, I was fascinated with how does this shepherd end up in the valley of the shadow of death? Luke 15, verse 11. Let's read very quickly the prodigal son. It says, then he said, a certain man had two sons. Somebody say two sons. 
The younger of them inappropriately said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. So he divided the estate between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered together everything that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he wasted his fortune on righteous living. Reckless and immoral living. Now, when he has spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to do without and be in need. So he went and forced himself on one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He would have gladly eaten the carob pods that the pigs were eating, but they could not satisfy his hunger. And no one was giving him anything to him. But when he finally came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough food when I am dying here of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me like one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robes for the guest of honor and put it on him and give him a ring for his hand and sandals for his feet and bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let us invite everyone and feast and celebrate. For this son of mine, as good as dead, is alive again. He was lost and has been found. So they began to celebrate. Let's go back to verse 11. Let's break this down very quickly. The first verse opens up 11, telling his father, give me what belongs to me. In Jewish tradition and in most traditions, you do not get your inheritance until your father dies. So what he was saying, in fact, was, I wish that you were dead. I cannot wait for you to die. So give me everything that is mine inheritance. He was being lured by his desires. Remember what James 1.14 says, when you are lured by your own tempted, you're tempted by your desires. He was being led away. He was a prince in his father's house, but his temptation and his desires began to lead him away. So he says, give me what belongs to me. The second thing I realized was the fact it was the entitlement of this boy. Excuse me, calm down. Give me everything that belongs to me. Belongs to who, sir? Sorry? How is it yours? He tells his father, give me everything that belongs. Sir, everything in this house belongs to the father. <laughs> Until I give it to you, it's not yours. You know? My father grew up with very humble beginnings. And he never let us forget it. Very humble beginnings. When he tells the story, it was like Africa magic. <laughs> Very humble beginnings. My grandfather never owned a car his whole life. Very humble beginnings in my lifetime. I remember when they would take light. There was no light. There was no generator. My father would get candles and put it on the wall. He would go and find very, very creative man, design lamp and um, candle holders, put it around the house. You know those white candles that you buy from Malam? Put it on all the walls and light it so that we will have light because there was no light. We'll carry the mattresses in my lifetime and put it in the living room 
and open the door, I mean, open the curtains because it's hot. So air will come in. I remember when we finally had enough money to buy the orange generator they used to grind pepper. You know that one? The one that is, my, I better pass my neighbor. You know, some people, you know, they said that, you know, rich people, rich men's children, they can't understand. I always tell my, my brothers, as I said, if you were born into money, it's not your fault. It's your orientation. It's not your fault. You, you came when there was money. Let me give an example of how bad it is. I remember one time they came to Pastor Tolu's apartment, and they walked into her apartment, and she lived in like a two, three-bedroom apartment, one floor. And they walked in, and they looked around, and they were genuinely confused. And they said, where's the rest of the house? Like, is this, is this the house? Where's the rest? Because the idea of house is up floor, down floor, you know, swimming pool, everything, everything. So they were like, ah, this cannot be a house. But in my time, when we, we'll put the mattress down and open, then when we got the, I better pass my neighbor, my dad built a nice little cage for it because it cannot, rain cannot beat it. Uh, somebody talk to me. And this better pass my neighbor, you know, it can't carry fridge and AC. No, you must choose one. It's either you put on the fridge or you put on the AC. You can't have both. And we could only put it on when daddy was around. So when daddy was not around, there was no life. We were so happy when daddy came back. Ah, Nigeria is blessed. I, I, I said that, you know, I just thought about when I brought my, you know, my kids, all of them. I said, everybody, they are under the blood. They have red passports. Only me that is green. But it's okay. So, you know, bring them back from England and, you know, born there and then they take light and then, you know, and they, they bring light, they go up Nepal. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Nigeria has happened to them too. But, 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 unless I digress, the whole purpose of this was my father would tell us how he used to walk to school and how humble his upbringing was and how when he first met my mom, you know, they were trying to put things together. He'd say, ah, thank God for, for Mr. and Mrs. Adeni G, Pastor Adeni G. Ah, they helped me. That's why, you know, some of us know who Pastor Adeni G is, you know. Give them small food. He said, you know, your mother used money to buy material. We used it to sew cotton. Put it on the, on the window, you know. Everybody just try. And he'd always say, buy what you need, not what you want. He says, I will never give you the best. If I give you the best, you will not know the value of what it takes to acquire it. And if I put you on a lifestyle that you are not used to, when you are by yourself, you try to sustain what you know, and you enter trouble. And he used to tell me a lot of times, <laughs> do you understand? You have to train your children right, right? And he would tell me, he said, listen, very, I knew very clearly, my father's money is not my money. No, 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 no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. You walk for your money. My father walked for his money. So me, I will walk for my money. When I started burning my children, it's not my father that born my children. So why is this his responsibility to take care of them? But the whole idea was I grew up knowing very well that my father's money is not my money. So it is the entitlement of this young man while his father is alive. In your father's house, you want to be a man. Go and live by yourself. I got me a father's house telling him, this is what I'm, hey, calm down. As long as you're under my roof and I'm the one feeding you, I'm not taking care of you. 
Listen, let me tell all the young people, growing up is a scam. Okay. Let me tell you now. Young people online, listen, adulthood is a scam. You know when you can't wait? Like, man, when I just, I can't wait to be by myself. I can't wait to just do the, Oh! You know, when you're young, they, I used to fight them that I wanted to drive. I tried to sneak the car out. Try to fight. down to drive. Want to, now, you're old. We're looking for somebody to drive you. I can't wait to be on my own. I want to make my decisions. Hey, how I wish that I could go back to the time when I just wake up. There's food on the table. You don't know where the food is coming from. You're is that there's food. You're just like, Daddy, I'm going to school. Bye-bye. See, every man in this place there that is paying school fees, tap your hand on your chest. Now, man, you be. Listen, tap your hand on your chest. Now, man, you be. It's not it easy. I remember, see, sorry, I've digressed. I'm coming back home. Is this the entitlement of this, of, this, of this boy that has vexed me? I remember growing up, used to think, you know, when I would hear men talk and say, ah, I put my children to school. I used to think, hey, God forgive me. I used to think, eh, eh, is that not your responsibility? But now, when you are now a man, I tell sons a lot of time, and daughters say, listen, give your parents some slack. Because you will not fully appreciate what it is to become a parent till you become a parent yourself. <laughs> you have no idea. You will judge your parents harshly until you become a parent yourself. And now you are now wearing those shoes. You said no one knows what the shoe is pinching unless the one that is wearing it. You're standing up straight. You know what it means to sacrifice? I say being a man is the most thankless job. It is your job to sacrifice. Always. As money is coming in, it's going out. <laughs> men, talk to me. Sometimes you see men just quiet like this. Darling, talk to me. You don't know what he's calculating. He's calculating the amount of money is in account. He knows my daughter needs this. My son needs this. And by he, he puts himself last always because that is what is required. As Christ gave himself for the church, you must give. It's a constant state of giving. And it is very hurtful. You know, a simple thank you can go a long way. E, darling, you are trying. You don't know what it does to the man. Darling, a man you be. Uh Strength comes back into him. He goes to do more. It's not easy. And here is the son, this entitled son, saying, give me what, sir? Did you work for it? Do you know how many bricks I had to carry on my back? The house that you live in, do you know how many people? You, you know, and it's when you now become a parent. Listen, if your parents are alive, call them today. Tell them thank you. Appreciate them. 
And if there are things that they have done that you don't understand, it's okay, forgive them. Because it's only when you become a parent yourself that clarity and understanding begins to come with the picture. So the man says to his father, give me what rightfully belongs to me. And look at the response of the father. The Bible says that the father divided his estates between his sons. An impatient, entitled son. And I began to ask, how many times do we show impatience and entitlement towards our own heavenly father? That blessing that you believed was for you. That prayer that you were upset that he did not. How could God not answer my prayer? That promotion that you just knew that you were going to get and it didn't come. So now you're upset. Look at what James 1.17 says. Every good thing. Every good thing. James 1.17. Put it up there, amplified version, so they can see it. Every good thing and every perfect gift. Every good thing given. Look at that word. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from where? It comes down from the Father of lights, the creator and sustainer of the heavens in whom there is no variation, no rising or setting or shadow cast by his turning, for he is perfect and never changes. So every good thing comes from above. The Father owns everything. Every good thing in your life comes from where? So you own nothing. There is no room for entitlement. I've said this before. Humility is easy when you realize that all you have, you have been given. I'll say that again. Oh, Pastor Jay, you are so humble. Humility is easy when you realize all you have, you have been given. The life that you have, you have been given. I didn't choose my family. I didn't choose where I would be born. I was given. So when you begin to realize that that blessing that you just knew was yours, it's not yours until it is given. He owns everything. We have no means of entitlement or rights because it all comes from where? above. But what does the father do? The Bible says that he splits the estate. James 1.18 says this, it, is, it was of his own will that he gave us birth as his children by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruit of his creatures, a prime example of what he created to be set apart to himself, sanctified, made holy for his divine purpose. So even the life we have was given. The decision for you to be born came from him. That there is long, there's breath in your lungs. It has nothing to do with you. Who kept you awake while you slept at night? Who kept your heart beating? 
while you slept? Are you in control of your heart beating right now? Everything, the life, he said it came from him. It was his decision to birth us. Why? For his divine purpose. And a lot of us make the mistake of thinking that our life is our own. Uh -uh. The life, it was his choice to birth us for his purpose. That means your life is not your own. It's my life. It's my life. It's my life. Uh, I'm casting myself. It's my life. It's not your life. The life that you have, it was a choice God decided. I want him born in this year. I want her born in this country. I want her born for this time. So everything comes from above. The life that you have, he owns it. Now, the father says, okay, he divides the estate. All his life's work, everything he had labored for, he decides to split it and he gives freely to his sons. But it was always the heart of the father. The disposition of the heart of the father is one that is always giving. Genesis 1.29 says this, Behold, I have given you every plant. Look at that word. I have given you every plant seed that is on the surface of the entire earth and every tree which is food yielding, so it shall be food for you. Look at giving already. Look at Psalm 37 verse 4. It says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give. He will give you the desires and petitions of your heart. Matthew 7, 7 says this, ask and keep on asking and it will be what? Given. It will be given to you. John 3, 16 again says this, for God so greatly loved the world, the daily prize world that he gave. Look at the heart of the Father. He gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Look at John 14, 27. He says this, Peace I leave with you. My perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. So don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Look at Acts 17, 25. It says this, nor is he served by human hand as though he needs anything because he is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. The heart of the Father always given. Romans 8.32 says this, he who did not spare even his own son, Romans 8.32 amplified, but what? Gave gave him up for us all, will he not also along with graciously, what? Give you all things. The heart of the Father is always giving. So what does the Father do? Like he always does, he gave. He separated his estates and he gave to his younger son what he asked for. Remember what James 1.15 talked about? When your desires 
begins to lead you away. So what happens? A few days later, the young son gathered together everything that he had. He was being lured away by his desires, and he left the father. He left the house. And I wrote down, you see, sin will always steal from you. He took everything he had. The Bible says he went and spent it on immoral living and lost everything. The wages of sin is death. I said, sin will always steal from you. In this parable, it stole his fortune. But bigger than his fortune, it also stole time. You see, time is the currency of life. That's why the Bible says, teach us, O Lord, to number our days. You see, time, we spend it and we can never get it back. So in this act, he took the fortune that his father had amassed over time. And he lost it all. And what he didn't realize, you see, a lot of us, we are so impatient and we want things now. If I am baking something in the oven, it's supposed to bake for 15 minutes. If I take it out in 15 minutes, what happens? It's not ready. A woman is pregnant for nine months. Anything before that is premature. There is danger that comes with it. But you know what happened? He was ready to receive his fortune now. And what he didn't realize, and if you know anything about investing and compound interest, when you keep something over time, the longer it accrues, the more you receive. So imagine if his inheritance was 100,000 that was supposed to be put there for 40, 50 years. He takes out the 100,000 and the interest in year 20, and then he goes and spends it all. So the principal plus the interest and everything that he has is gone. That's 20 years lost in a matter of days. And so now, what he has lost is not only his fortune, but time. Because even if he says, let's start again in year 21, where the principal should be 100 plus interest over 20 years, the principal and the interest is zero. And when we sin, the cost is time. You see, Christ has already paid the price. But where you should be here, let me give you an example. Where's Pastor Tony? Come. Um, Pastor Bissoye, please come. Okay. Pastor Tony, yes, you can run. Yeah. Go and stand next to Pastor Chris. The cost is time. Both of us, that's God, right? Let's, I'm going to count to five. I said at, at five, go, right? right? You can run, you can walk. It runs, good. So that's God, right? This is the heavenly race or the race of life. However you want to call it. Heavenly race, I know go tired. Heavenly race, I know go tired. Heavenly race, I know go tired. I know go tired. Sorry, that's how it works in my head. All right. Heavenly race, right? So when we say go, go, right? Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto 
Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. A stranger, they will not follow. Jesus, Pastor Tony is playing Jesus, right? All this life, we're supposed to listen to him. Follow the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. So that is him. Ready? Please count down from three to one. Go. Are you ready? Count. Now, while some people are busy following the shepherd, there are some who are here being distracted by the things of life. That's what we're supposed to be going on. Being led away by desires, by the things of the world. Oh, after all, it's my life. <laughs> but the shepherd is there. And what sin does is take your time. So where you should be further along in your journey, you are further away. So, because there is always grace, and we know how the story ends before I jump to that, but you can always make your way back. But here's the thing. If I had run when I was supposed to run, I would be further along in my journey. But because sin took my time, where I should be further along in my process, I am not where I'm supposed to be. The Father never leaves. His mercy, His grace is always there. But we are losing time. He says the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Because there are many who are not doing what they are supposed to do. He says, let us lay aside the things that so easily beset us. Because we are on this earth for a specific time. And what the devil is trying to do is steal your time. I heard somebody say, when you die, you have your birth date and your death date. And the sum total of your life is that dash in between. Ooh. What do you do with that dash in between? For everything, there is a time and season under heaven. There is a set time that has already been to be born. And there is also a set time to die. No one knows what a set time is. But one thing we know for sure is there is a set time. So when he says, teach me, O Lord, to number our days. It's, Lord, don't let me get distracted with things that will steal my time. Because the good Lord will ask you, what did you do? He has already calculated the sum total of your life. This person has 50 years, 70 years, 90 years, and he already knows, I expect in year 10, year 20, year 30, so that when it's time to go, you die empty. But the only way you die empty 
is if you stay connected to the shepherd. Okay, but what if, pastor, I've messed up so much and I've lost so much time. I know somebody that can redeem the time. But what I'm trying to show you is why we can't continue to play with sin because the opportunity cost in economics, they say when you make a decision, the one that you do not make, the opportunity cost of disobedience is loss of time. So he goes and he spends everything his father amassed in days. He loses it all. And then what happens? The Bible says in verse 15 that he goes to attach himself to a man in that country and he sends him to feed the pigs. And I wrote something down. I wrote this. Verse 15 shows that a son in a father's house can be a slave in another man's house. And the only difference is location. Mm. I'll say that again. A son in a father's house can be a slave in another man's house. And the only difference is what? Location. The same person with the same gifting, with the same identity, with the same future, but by changing his location, went from being a son to a slave, feeding the pigs based on location. With the shepherd, you are in green pastures. With the shepherd, you are being led by still waters. With the shepherd, your soul is being restored. But if you change location, you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death. Look at verse 18 to 20. He says to himself that he came to himself and he said, hold up, in my father's house, hired men eat better than me. I will arise and go back to my father. And say to him, I'm not worried to be a son. Take me as a hired servant instead. And I wrote down that even in his mess, he still knew he had a father. In the midst of his mess, he knew that he could go back to his father. He knew that although he had strayed, he still had a home to go back to. His mess did not change the fact that his father was still his father. You see, the father never left the son. The son left the father. And even the whole time while the son was away, the father still never left the son. Which is why David says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Because why? Thou art with Psalm 139 verse 8 says this, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, 
the netherworld, the place of the dead. Behold, you are there. Hebrews 13.5 says this, let your character, your moral essence, your inner nature, Hebrews 13.5, let your character, your moral essence, your inner nature be free from the love of money, shun greed, be financially ethical, being content with what you have. For he has said, what has he said? I will, I will, I will never under any circumstances, even when you wander, even when you go astray, under any circumstances, desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without what? Nor will I in any degree leave you what? Nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you. So even when he was in the valley of the shadow of death, the father was still with him. And we see this in the story because the Bible says in verse 20 that while the son was a ways off, the father saw him. In other words, the father was always there waiting. The only way he would see him afar off, that means every day he would come and say, is this the day my son is coming home? Although my son has left, my son is out there and I have no peace because my son is not home. Is this the day he comes home? Where is my son? Where is my son? So the Bible says, while he was a ways off, the father saw him and ran to him. And he says his whole speech. And look at how he responded. He says, bring me the best robe. Put it on his shoulder. Give me my ring. I restore his authority back to him. Give me my shoes. Put it on his feet. Go and kill the fattest calf because the son of mine that was lost is now found. Beloved, you can always find your way back home. You can always find your way back home. And now Psalm 23 verse 4 the other part, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, the rod was used to fight off animals. It was like a club to fight off enemies that would come to attack the sheep. And the staff was used to bring the sheep back very gently and safely in case the sheep wandered. And then I wrote this down. But you see, in this story, the prodigal son was his own enemy. Uh-oh. Sometimes, now we do ourselves. I mean, for those who don't understand what I just said, I said, sometimes we are our own problems. In this story, he was his own enemy. He put himself in danger by the decisions that he made. 
And the father was well within his rights to use the rod against him. But instead of using the rod, he used the staff to comfort. Are we not thankful that we have a God that does not give us what we deserve? Oh, talk to me, somebody. You see, in church, we have the best actors. Trust me, I'm an actor. I can, I, I'm moral. We know ourselves. We can put up a front, put up a facade, like everything is together. But if the Lord was supposed to show everybody's lives on this white screen now, Monday to Sunday, you see, God does not have the ignorant, he does, does not have the luxury of ignorance. I'll say that again. He does not have the luxury of ignorance. In other words, you know when they say what you don't know will not hurt you. He doesn't have that luxury because he sees all. He hears all. He knows all. So when you are on your knees saying, God, I promise you I'll never do it again. Uh, he knows that tomorrow at exactly 11.45, he knows where you'll be, what you'll be doing, with who you'll be doing it with. He knows everything. Everything he sees, he hears, he knows. He's everywhere with everyone in everything, all at the same time. And where he should give us the rod, because he knows you're lying, and he knows that this one. He says, "Come boldly to the throne of grace." So that you will obtain mercy. Come boldly. You see, the son already rehearsed his speech because he knew that he had lost his rights to come based on his actions. But he says, There is a blood that speaks, that allows you to come boldly. To obtain mercy because the price has already been paid. He says, Grace is made anew every day. You see that, my son Jimmy, eh? tomorrow he's going to mess up again. So I will put grace in his bank account because the wages of sin, when he starts to withdraw, based on sin. What he should be getting is death. But instead, I will put grace. Because what grace does, it gives you the opportunity and the ability and the avenue to say, ah, I have come to myself. Let me go back home. Beloved, there is grace available today. What I want you to take away from this as we close is even though you find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, he is there with you. You can always come back home. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
all things are passed away and behold everything has become new no matter where you may be in this journey of life yea though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death he is with you ever ready to fight on your behalf the Bible says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. If I lose one, I will leave the 99, take the one, put it on my neck, and come home. Because heaven rejoices when one comes home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a merciful God that you are a gracious God, that you do not give us what we deserve, but we, you give us your grace. We thank you that you are the one that can redeem the times. Forgive us for all the things that we have done, all the time that we have wasted, where we have not hearkened unto you, where we have not followed you, where we have been led away by our own desires, by our own fleshly desires. Forgive us. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. We thank you that you are always giving and you give freely. We thank you for the gift, ultimate gift of your son. We thank you for the price he paid on Calvary. We thank you that now we have now been adopted into the family and we are now sons and daughters by rights. And that we will walk in the authority and the knowledge of who we are. May we not abdicate our positions as sons and become slaves because we're in the wrong location. May we stay closely with you May we see thee more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly, day by day. So Father, we give you praise. Take all the glory. Take all the honor. Take all adoration. Take all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that you were blessed. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to subscribe. And if you know a fellow lion that needs to join the tribe, please be sure. Send them this link. Share this episode. God bless you.